Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Osiris. Loyalty, described as, do you care? And I care, and that's why I'm on this show. Comes a time, here we go. <laughs> I'm a sucker for O'Teal, man. I saw that same feeling that I have, that would he filled a void that I didn't even know existed. It feels so good to, as Ben said, to try to do something about an issue as opposed to complaining. If you can't help, don't hurt. If we could just all get out there and throw cream puffs at each other, maybe things would, instead of bullets and <laughs> angry words, it would be better. When you stop laughing, you stop living. There's a worldwide surge in interest in mushrooms. It was deep, man. It's not that TM makes your mind quiet down there. It already is. We're just stuck up here. We've lost access. I'm jumping Jack Flash came out by the stones. So I thought, all right, perfect, man. I'm gonna drive, and I started driving through the neighborhood, and I got, I got a text from Mick Jagger. <laughs> People saying that you know what we do is non-essential. Well, playing those few gigs that yeah. you saw me at felt pretty essential to me. It wasn't like they were clapping from here. Is they were clapping from here. My view of things is that death, death is the last and best reward for a life well lived. Like you gotta, it's the strangest of places if you look at it right, you know? If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. Welcome back to another episode of Comes a Time. That's O'Teal. And that's Mike. <laughs> and we are happy to have you back. We had a good one. Mr. Robert Walter from the Grey Boy All-Stars. And also, he's out with Roger Waters. Roger Waters. Living his childhood dream. One of his childhood dreams. Pretty Musicians cool. have more than one dream, I feel, <laughs> as a child. Well, that, yeah. was a, that was the seminal one for, for him. Didn't yeah. he, did he say that was the first album first that album he bought he with his own money? Yeah. Was The Wall? Yeah. And, uh, Pretty amazing. Now he's on stage with him. So see, kids, yeah. it happens. <laughs> That's right. It sure <laughs> you does. Do it right. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was an awesome chat. And it's so cool as, you know, like the, the path to now went through punk and went through funk and went through all types of fun buses with holes in it and all types of great things. So this is a really cool <laughs> chat, man. Bus, really, really that was cool. a van. And he's touring the Midwest in the, in the wintertime. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. A little, oh little my God. Small bus. Hey, congrats on your hundred K shirt. What's, uh, what's going on there? DDP, DDP. yoga. 
I hit a hundred thousand points. You got and, your shirt. Uh, then you get your. I thought I was going to get my uh, water bottle, but uh, it's a shirt. I'm psyched though. Now, r- remind me. I think when we were having carbs for breakfast, you told me uh, you ordered that shirt as a as a medium. I too, ordered right? it as a medium to fit. And, uh, I think I I think I did pretty good. Nice. That pretty yeah. Good. Wait a minute. Absolutely. This is the real test right here. The side <laughs> test. Yeah, it looks good, man. That's so awesome. now I got to stay in it, right? I could just keep putting the shirt on to see, like, if I'm yeah. getting off the rails here. You don't want it but, ending up in the sun in the someday bin. Yeah, but I also <laughs> got a new uh, a new passion. Got into trading cards. A friend of mine in the neighborhood <laughs> takes his son to these card shows, yeah. and they were doing like baseball. Like Nigel just wants all Pokemon. Yeah. So his son wasn't into it at first. He was like, Pokemon's lame. But then he got into it. So then we went with them, and Nigel, dude, it's the cutest thing. Talk about subculture. Oh, it's yeah. It's a the whole different vibe. real deal. So, yeah, I got, a, I got some old Rey Mysterio. <laughs> I got a rookie Rey Mysterio. A rookie. <laughs> and, and I have a, 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 a Dusty Rhodes. Where's Dusty? The American Dream. Yeah. I was Did like, Did they ever oh. make musician playing cards? Is that ever a thing? I think- I think they have some. Mick Foley. There you go. Bret Hart, Booker T. Come on. Where's Dusty? Taker. He's just in dark. He's blacked out. I love it. He's wow. like a ghost. Oh, is that like a hologram type card? <laughs> that background <laughs> looks like look cool. Where's Dusty Rhodes? Where's the American dream? There he is. Yeah, <laughs> how about that? Nice. Yeah, so we got, we're, we're going into the uh, subcultures. Dueling childhoods. I love it. That's fantastic. <laughs> tandem, not dueling, tandem. It's a fun thing, not a fight. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But wow. Nigel is like, dude, he's off the chain. It's so great yeah. to watch him like freak out, like get that excited. You know, those are fun, man. Those are really fun. Yeah. Those card shows are. <laughs> the people that run those tables are a trip. It's a trip, man. And then some young kids started coming up to work at me. Like, I don't know if the whole thing now, but I'm starting <laughs> to see what's going on. There's <laughs> angles. But yeah, Amazing. it's cool, man. Awesome. Well, thank you, Robert, for joining us. And uh, congrats on the tour with Roger Waters. And, uh, yes. and go check out uh, the Gray Boy All-Stars uh, are going to be hitting the road soon as well. So uh Enjoy this episode. Thank you guys, as always, for joining us. We're here on Osiris, home to so many great podcasts. Check them out at OsirisPod.com. And if you like what you're hearing, you could join us over at Patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod for a bonus episode and chats every week. So thank you guys. Oteal, congrats on 100K. And uh, we'll check you guys out soon. Peace. So you're on the road right now? I'm on the road with the Roger Waters, yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's like sort of kid rock star dream. <laughs> now, how did all that come about? I knew a couple guys um, from the band, just from sessions in LA and stuff, and they needed an organ player. I think before me, it was Bo from My Morning Jacket, but they're on tour, so you can't do it. So they called me up. I thought it was... I kind of joked with my girlfriend when I got the call from Gus, the, the, one of the players, 
was like, oh, it'd be funny if he was calling me about that, but it ended up being it. So it's cool. <laughs> wow. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. How, how, so how far into the tour are you currently? We played about 20 gigs. Um, and then there was like a month of rehearsals before that. So I've been out for a couple months. It's also a longer tour than I'm used to. Usually like with gray boy officers, we go out for three weeks or something. So this one lasts, you know, four, four and a half months altogether. But, Whoa. Yeah. That is long. <laughs> Most bands would kill each other. <laughs> before. <laughs> like I said, there's only like two or three gigs a week. So it's, it's a pretty mellow schedule. Nice. Now, have you nice. been having to deal with, covid stuff all that there's, there's a lot of restrictions on this like we're not really supposed to if if your friends come if they want to hang out with you they have to test into the bubble and sort of stay in another room and they can only be behind the soundboard they can't even be in the. i, I can't say hi to friends but i can get people yeah. tickets and i gotta wave to them when i'm walking fast but yeah we went through that man Jeez. yeah that's kind of something that we've talked about quite a bit on the podcast is dealing with that isolation. Is there any, how have you, uh, been dealing with it? Um, I kind of enjoy being by myself anyway, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> especially on the road after all those years of being in a van, real tight quarters and you're never alone and sharing hotel rooms and stuff. I'm 
I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. <laughs> cool. Like, and and during lockdown, I got kind of used to to my own thing. So I have a keyboard I set up, and I just work on music and stuff like that. So, so you have a keyboard at the, in the hotel room. Mm-hmm. Then that's just the, like yeah. yeah, just like a cheap MIDI thing, but it's it it's, allows me to work. It's a friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I like the limitation in a way um, of not having all your gear, you know, like a million things to distract you. Because like, you're getting this one synthesizer and kind of go down a tube and never work on any actual music and having one thing and just this is what I'm working on kind of, you know, streamlines the process, I guess. That's good. You've made a, a healthy choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has been good for some people that I know. And they were like, you know, I some people I know were a little... I don't want to say extreme, but they're like, I kind of wished I could have done this anyway. So now I'm like finally getting my chance. Like, sorry, everyone. <laughs> you yeah, know, I, I managed to practice um, a lot during during that whole time you know, on things that instead of working on like songs for the next gig, I could get into fun stuff. Like I always wanted to learn how to do this or like work on boogie woogie piano yeah. or like just little sort of projects that they don't have any obvious, you know, work payoff. It's more just stuff. I attack your weaknesses, I guess, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it, I think it does bleed in. Cause like, even when I think of uh, styles of music that I wasn't into before that I am now and somehow it like finds its way in like somewhere. So it's just good. You know, it's good to have personal growth stuff that's just for you. I think it's all going to come out at some point. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing is that there's that sort of hamster wheel of constantly next gig. What are you working on? And, and this kind of was free form. It reminded me of being a kid again. When you me first too. started getting into music, what what did you like? And just because you dig it, like, you know, it's cool. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, what's it like working with Roger Waters? Is this, is this a big... Uh like you said, childhood dream. Did you grow up a big fan? And I, yeah, like- I was a huge fan as a kid. The, the wall was one of the first records I went out and bought with my own money and I still have my copy and it plays pretty good. You know, wow. so I was actually actually learning the tunes off that when I wow, got the needle, the- I was like, Whoa. And it kind of still smells like you're a kid. You know, it's got that. I love old records. So- Did you get him to sign it? No. <laughs> Dude, come on, man. I don't know how he would react. A couple months but, left. You know, I, you know. Not a bad idea. I, I yeah, got to tell him this story one time. But um, yeah, so, you know, it was a big thing for me. Like when I was a kid and I imagined what it would be like to be in a rock band. That's one of the things that one of the bands I thought about, along with like Led Zeppelin and The Who and things like that. So, um, so it's really cool to you know sort of be doing that and be part of a big production there's a lot of visual elements to the show and i'm not Mm -hmm. used to quite quite that much of that um and you know he's he's a tough boss like he's definitely in charge and knows what he wants it's cool the music feels real vital for being a sort of a legacy act like that sometimes you think of these things as like you go out and play the hits and he's constantly changing things and introducing new stuff and so it's, it's pretty fun (laughs) <laughs> I think you got to get him to sign that thing, bro. Yeah. <laughs> also, My, those, or, those organ parts are so fun to play. It's like I, when you're first like the Hammond organ when you're a kid, that's the stuff. It's like, you know, hold the thing and turn it away. You know, it's like all that very 
it's a glory gig for the Oregon parts, you know. <laughs> That's got to be fun. You're like, I'm that guy now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the parts are simple, but they're very like, you know, big. So huge. Yeah, giant <laughs> parts of that that music for sure. Um, when did you start playing? Like, let's go back if we could a bit. Like, when did you first uh when did your like your playing begin? Origin story. I, yeah. Yeah, I think I was like 7 or 8 when I started playing piano. I took lessons like everybody else sort of Suzuki method classical you know, using Mozart pieces and stuff. And, um, I liked it. Okay. But I was like all kids where I'd rather go, you know, hang out with my friends and play video games or whatever. But, um, but then I, I sort of quit playing piano and I discovered rock music and played drums in some bands. And that's when I really started like having a garage band and, um, got into all that classic rock. I mean, we were, we were playing, you know, Van Halen and Aussie covers and Led Zeppelin tunes and stuff like that. It was, it was cool. Um, and then I started getting interested in, I wanted to write music and that led me back to the piano. We always had a piano in the house and I'd like, you know, make up chords and stuff. Cause writing from the drums is kind of hard. It's hard to explain what you want to the band. And then sort of through a bunch of different things, I was playing both instruments in some bands and keyboards in one band and drums in another. And then I just, I just started playing drums less and less and got more into keyboards. So natural evolution. It's yeah. also easier to carry a keyboard around, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a Path little of least resistance, you know. I, I went from, you know, drums to Hammond organ though. So I should have <laughs> oh, well, picked something yeah. much, much lighter. The drum set of keys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've always had an instrument where you want someone to help, which is, you know, tricky, tricky. Um, yeah, my brother played flute, and then all of a sudden, I was carrying around a Yamaha CP70. Yeah. That era, that's what happened in my back. <laughs> and yeah, Ampeg SVTs. That's a heavy thing. I've been I've been thinking more and more about the CP70. Actually, that's that's a great one. I just tried played one at that store the other day. I kind of want to get one next. It's actually got kind of a sound now <laughs> in retrospect. Yeah, it was, it was sort of like a, the dreaded thing, like not quite a piano. And now it's kind of like, wow, you know, reminds me of a certain era of, of records and stuff. You know, when I first I saw to, Peter Gabriel play, that's what he had on his, in his rig and it was cool. Yes. That, I mean, and that was why we wanted it. We were like, yeah. like all the cats were playing it because it was new then. Yeah. This is for people that don't know. A Yamaha CP70 was the answer to not carrying around a grand piano because the tuning and like for it to move, it's just a big thing and the cp70 is like an electric version of that but it really didn't it has its own sound to be sure yeah it doesn't sound like a piano exactly but But it doesn't really sound like but it's also not all that portable like you know (laughs) they're like oh it's awesome you can bring it around and it's like not not really portable it's two parts but really heavy parts like really really heavy yeah, that era was great. Oh. So what's your current rig like on stage now with the with this band? Like, what are you playing? With the Roger band, it's a B3 and an ARP Selena, like an old string ensemble. And it's cool that they're... Old school. Yeah, that they're using the vintage one. Because it, it's not that hard of an instrument to fake digitally, but there's something about having the thing that makes you play it different. Yeah. You run out of keys for one thing, and you... <laughs> and then, the, all the sort of imperfections of like 
you know, there's a, there's a decay knob and, a, and all that. And, and they're all kind of glitchy in the way that sounds just like those records, you know, it makes you really play that way. And then I'm playing some clavinet parts, um, that are made off of, I'm using, a, um, uh, profit six as a controller for stuff. And that's all. There's another keyboard player who plays like most of the synth parts and electric piano and stuff. Two keyboards. Yeah, I guess they mm-hmm. have to with all the stuff they layered in the studio. Yeah, so yeah there's a lot of parts. Yeah. yeah. How many pieces is his band right now? I think there's 10 of us. <laughs> that many. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So it's cool. And we, you know, there is a uh, idea that we kind of cover a lot of the parts. These, that means they're iconic and, um, and I just, and very sonic. Like I love hearing all this, the sounds coming in and out and stuff. Waves bumping up against each other, <laughs> making that beautiful chorus thing. Well, that, the Pink Floyd thing is very similar to the Grateful Dead thing in a way where there are so many extremely talented groups doing their versions or their variants of it. You know, mm-hmm. like there's the Australian Pink Floyd that tours and they're <laughs> amazing. Sure. Like people go see them, like people follow them. Like it's wow. it's really amazing awesome. how and yeah, there's a whole bunch there's a fan base that's really obsessive too. And like knows all the details and checks out all the bootlegs and people learn different versions. It's kind of got some of that in it. Yeah. I'm sure that I, the fans go nuts. Like you must be, it's, it's a, it must be a thrill being, you're looking at the fans going, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's awesome. Roger Waters. There is it's a really- thing like where people cried during wish you were here or whatever. It's got that real emotional thing. And, um, and hearing that voice, you know, sing some of those songs like in the flesh or something where it's like, you always had that like mean biting kind of thing. You know, Roger, it's great. You know, <laughs> we recently had a friend of mine who's a comedian who did a stand up show with, uh, Roger Waters and Julian, uh, or, uh, Roger Waters and, um, who else was there? Uh, that's right. It was another part. It was for Julian Assange for Julian Assange. And, uh, yeah, Roger Waters was there and, uh, yeah, he was able to, um, uh, it was pretty wild to, to hear him. Like he was able to meet him and, you know, it was to, to, you know, raise awareness and stuff like that. And I know Roger Waters doesn't shy away from, it's pretty, the, 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 the visuals is, uh, yeah, is he goes in hard. He goes in hard. Yeah. yeah it's real. It's, it's real political and real confrontational. It's very like, very. It's, 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 you know, it's kind of amazing for somebody his age and also with his sort of like rock star legacy to still be like digging in. Like it feels like I used to, I grew up with, in punk rock bands and stuff and it kind of feels like that, but on this big level, like in an arena, but it's got that sort of like, you know, I don't know. It kind of grabs you by the throat in a, in a way I, I find, uh, aesthetically exciting, you know, it's yeah, I mean, he's, like, he's the, uh, 70 80 year old version of rage against the machine is still like yeah. his wheelchair yeah. fuck you, ah! you know, like, yeah it's yeah cool. it's, yeah it's a, it's a trip um into the grave yeah it reminds me of the, of the clash or something like that too you know yeah. that, that that kind of thing so. that's awesome yeah that's really cool so what about your new record now so What's again going? Um, Great Boy All-Stars is just, we were, we're releasing our second album on uh, vinyl for the first time. It came out in like the mid nineties, right at the time when we thought 
people weren't going to make records anymore. So it was on a <laughs> CD. It's also real long. You know, that time when everybody was making these like 16, 70 minute records. Cause you're like, Oh my God, we got all this time. Amazing. Um, I, I kind of over time have learned most of the time they played over long, you know, but this one really worked and it was, it's, it's one of the two, my, my two favorite records in the catalog. Um, cool. it's been out of print for a long time. It was like our first time where it felt like a, a real band. The first album we made, we had done like a few months after we started. So, and made it in a day. And this one, we kind of had some time and, and we had grown into the music a lot more. Um, so it's cool. We recorded at a, at a Wally Hyder in San Francisco, nice. which was, you know, where they had made those Herbie records that I love and all yeah. that tower power. So, um, so we felt like we were part of this, you know, history and, Anyway, it, so it's coming out on vinyl. It sounds great. It's remastered up from the tapes, and I'm just, I'm proud of the record. Sweet. I'm trying to start uh, a vinyl thing now. Um, I recently just got had a, a like weekend of just vinyl listening, and I was like, oh wow, it really hooked me. You know, with the kids, I'm scared. Right. Uh, Cause they're four and seven and they just broke the undertaker by the way. My, oh, they did. My, yeah. <laughs> no. No, no. I took it out for the girls to play with. I was like, they are dolls. They're not dolls. They broke no. it. But, <laughs> but yeah, I want to, I'd still want to do it cause I want, it sounds different. Like the airwaves in the house sound and feel different. And I grew up with that. And I realized my kids aren't growing up with that. They're growing up with like Alexa. That's, that's wrong. Yeah. And yeah. there's a bunch of things about it that I love. Like, I love that you have to commit to this side at least. So you, you know, nowadays That's we're just point. like, Oh, that wasn't that good. Let's just skip it. You know, or Shuffle whatever, and, looking yeah. around and everything's available. So you don't have that feeling like it used to be like your few records you had, that was it. Like <laughs> yeah. you wanted to hear something that was, or the, whatever was on the radio, but you didn't get to choose it. So, you know, if you had three records, you, play the shit out of those records and listen to every part. I used to, yeah. you know, put on a record by rush and listen to it, turn it over, turn it over again. Like I go four and five times in and headphones, it's like, Whoa, you know, and it, and it's just a different experience. It's more, there's a deeper, like, yeah. Commitment to the thing. And you look at the cover and sit there. It's just, it's, it was less passive. It kind of like we're, we're, immersed in the music you know yeah, yeah. poor Kavi doesn't let i swear man she doesn't let a whole song finish so she'll go in and she'll be like no alexa change it change it so we've listened to like 30 seconds of 10 songs yeah. and i'm like this is not good like the yeah. attention span uh -huh. and gets really mad at the radio we take the jeep sometimes which is you know like might as well cranked it up you know it's yeah. from the 1800s and she can't conceive that she can't tell the radio like yeah. <laughs> so and i'm like this is bad man yeah that's the downside of all that stuff being so readily available it's great it's because convenient. If you, yeah if you yeah. want to check something out you can do it but um also there's this whole thing of when you used to buy a record you you couldn't make sure you liked it <laughs> before you got it, <laughs> That's right. you know? So once you took it home, there was, you tried to like it, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, That's yeah. why everybody got so pissed at miles. Cause all you yeah. could do was go, well, I like that person. 
Yeah. So I'm trusting, you know, I could get yeah. that much. I'm 50, I'm like 75% of the way there. But then with Miles, it was like, well, it's Miles, but what the hell is he going to do this? Yeah. I would just immediately on the, on the, piss on off the half. shows up and you're like, well, well, that's not what I, what yeah. I thought I was getting. Yeah. And, you and go, so you, all right. You have, yeah, you have something invested in it. You have money yeah. invested in it. So you take that thing home. So you're going to give it a chance at least, you know? Yeah. How did you, uh, how'd you find was, are you, uh, do you have siblings older or younger? Or did you find the music yourself or through your parents? Like what was your, I'm an only child, but my dad is, was a drummer in bands mm. and my parents were deadheads. So they had huh. interest nice. in music and, and cool record collection. So, you know, Grateful Dead, Almond Brothers, um, Little Feet, you know, was mm-hmm. a big thing in our house. And then my dad had a couple, like he had a, couple of jazz things. He had a Ramsey Lewis trio record. Mm-hmm. He had Herbie Hancock headhunters. Nice. He had a meters compilation, like a best of Damn. meters that I, that I haven't nice. seen that much, but, but it had all the old Josie stuff. Rejuvenation. Like I'd like to grow up in. Oh, no kid. I'm like <laughs> little feet in the meters. That's it yeah. right there, man. Yeah. So it kind of got me hooked on that. And, you know, um, and from those things, I it led me to everything else. I knew about the meters and then, you know, references to Professor Longhair. So then I got into that when I started playing piano seriously. Um, and Dr. John, of course. And, um, mm-hmm. and then it just leads you down a rabbit hole. You get into one jazz record, you look at the sidemen, and then you realize they all have records. And then you go on and on. And it's a whole universe. That's interesting. Yeah, that's <laughs> then true. you're at Ahmad Jamal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing about the, the I was sort of a geek in that way for uh, you give a blue note record, you know, whatever Wayne shorter. And then it's, you know, Herbie and Ron Carter. And then you go, who else do they play with? And it, it's the whole, you know, it goes on forever. Really. (laughs) You still do that too. I remember I was in Denver. Um, we were all, we were both playing, I guess we were playing with Eddie Roberts on something. Yeah. It was one of those benefits. I think. Yeah. I was tired. You know, I'm like, old and time going to bed you guys stayed up late like just talking about records and listening to stuff yeah it was great i was like this is so cool i mean we used to do that as teenagers you know like that you still had it It was like right there that's cool i did a trio with them deitch and eddie and Mm. on the road it was so fun because instead you know as you get older everyone kind of goes off with their own little crew you know and that band, every time, instead of like going out to, to party and talk to people, we just end up geeking out about music for hours. It's super fun. <laughs> That's something like I really don't like uh, riding in vans and rental cars. And it was like, I want to be in a tour bus, be able to lay down. But the mm. few, uh, when I do it, we end up like hanging more like you say you know when everybody's on a bus everybody goes off to their hotel separate hotel rooms most people are on separate buses like there's really not seeing each other you know yeah but this yeah, is like you end up djing and talking about something I'm like wow this is really fun you know yeah in a way the more successful you get the more remote all the band members get because you because when you're in the van you can't wait to get away from those people. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> you know, as soon as the band stops, everyone's, you know, but it runs but, in different directions. But it, there is something you lose. Even on the bus, we don't listen to music together as much as when you're stuck in the van because you're, 
there's only one radio or whatever, especially in before everyone had, you know, phones and headphones yeah. and stuff. It was a little more, you committed to stuff and you'd trade off, you know, um, I learned about a lot of music from that because my friends would bring it. I always make mixtapes of vinyl, like up rare sort of funk and nice. jazz records, you know, just to sort of turn the band onto things. And then we had one guy that was really into fish in the dead and he'd play when it was his turn, he'd play that. And then yeah. my other friend had all, he had gotten all these miles Davis bootlegs from the seventies from a European tour. And it was like every night of this trip and the band was, was like Gary Bartz and Keith and, um, Michael Henderson, I think mm, he just passed and they played the same set list every night, but the gigs were so radically different. And so we just listened to this the following night. I remember one tour where we did that. It was real inspiring. Oh, wow. That's super cool. Yeah. No, no, like <laughs> different songs. It was just the way they played the song was so open that it was, you know, completely different experience. I'm trying to do that now with our band, like, uh, if we do, like, I quote, um, get up, stand up, and estimated profit. Mm-hmm. But now I'm just going to play get up, stand up all the way through. You know, like just remix yep. everything or mm. just like it should be everything's fair game. We could play it in five different keys. It just creates this like threat element. Like we're 100 percent sure that we're not sure what we're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like anything could happen now, you know, so I you love, can have the same I, set list. Doesn't yeah, matter. Really. Yeah. I've got a couple, a couple things I do that are really totally free. Um, and I love playing like that because in a way, when the, when the things really rehearsed, there's a thing. And when it's not rehearsed at all, there's a thing. And when there's a thing where it's like halfway, that's when you set yourself up for failure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there's like, oh, well, do whatever you want. But then at this one part, you got to nail this thing. I kind of like reading that atmosphere that it's there's there's no anything could happen, you know, like, yeah, totally open. And then you you're responding to things rather than sort of forcing your intention. Mm, that's yes. You always, you always end up a ba- in a bad way if you're like. I know that we're going to improvise, but I'm going to make it do this. You know, you yes. have to respond to the other people and the sound of the room matters. And mm-hmm. your how's your gear acting that night? All those things are, if you play to that, like even certain tempos, the tempo is not right for that room because you're going to hear the back wall. So if you kind of play to the, the atmosphere, it's cool. I like to feel the room before I make the set list, which is very difficult sometimes impossible right. sometimes yeah really i bet you know especially with travel yeah. now yeah at festival whatever but like if it's it was nice when we had a band that played so many nights together that we didn't really need a set list even mm-hmm. so we could walk into the room and you just know it should start slow tonight or it should just come out super hard out of the gate tonight and we could just do it like at one point we would stop and then you would just kind of know what the next tune was back mm-hmm. with Colonel Bruce. It would be that way. We never wrote a set list. Yeah. That's, a bunch that's, of songs. That just, that's the best. Yeah. Great Rock Stars never wrote a set list in the first few years. And then we started at some point there started to be these weird long dead air things where we'd kind of be fighting over <laughs> <what's> next. <laughs> so be like, let's play so this fun and, live. 
And then people would be like, no, that's, 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 I hate that one, you know? So, so, so we started making a list, but we still go off script often, you know? Because mm. yeah. we can feel that it's wrong. Like you're you're halfway through the thing, and you're like, "No, nah, that can't be the next one." So then we will correct. But just to get rid of like, well, you know, it's, everybody had like one tune they didn't like to play, and they'd veto it every time. It's funny. It's great to know everybody that well. Like, how how did you guys come together? It was originally. really uh, un in a way an unorganic thing or inorganic. Is that so? DJ Greyboy had made this record called Freestyling. I don't know if you know who DJ Greyboy is, but he's sort of like, he was a DJ and he, I guess he sort of, uh, he was like sort of the guy who was our creative director at the beginning. And he had all these cool old records and and he turned us on to, to you know, all those old funky blue notes. And, you know, he had this crazy record collection. So he had made this record called Freestyling that was, basically like sampled beats, like breakbeat style music, but with live jazz soloists. Carl was one of the, Carl Denson was one of the soloists. And when he did a, he had a record release party and he said, I don't want to play this record. I want a band to play the tunes live. So we just formed for that. It was supposed to be a one-off thing for his thing. And it was so fun at the first rehearsal, even we were like, this is amazing. You know, we need to do this. And then, it just kind of went on. We got a local gig in San Diego at weekly. And then we loved that. And we started learning more songs, but it originally started just as a one-off thing. And, um, and all of us were not even really into that kind of music. I mean, we all liked funk and jazz a little bit, but I was playing sort of in these weird sort of punk rock bands. And, you know, Carl was just coming out of Lenny Kravitz and our guitar player was in kind of a rock band. And we, we, for some reason we just it just made sense to all of us you know <laughs> it's great so, it's like j-rad yeah in a way, way it know? happened yeah the one-off like, thing that is too good to ignore yeah. you know well, chemistry is like that and fate yeah, you know totally and because we came together around this sort of set of originally it was just we we're just trying to emulate these records that 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 gray gray boy had you know, he was really into crate digging. And at the time, a, a lot of that funky music was out of print. All those funky blue notes were, were very seen as mm. very declassé in the jazz world. You know, it was kind of the time of Witten and, and this sort of, uh, you know, something that went back to sort of acoustic jazz and all these soul and R&B influences were seen as sort of like commercial in a bad way or whatever. But we, I heard that stuff and I was like, this is, exactly what i want to hear it's way better it's not it doesn't feel as cerebral it doesn't feel as demure it felt like more visceral yeah. and awesome more punk um, yeah yeah and funky and also the players like this is not to slight someone like melvin sparks or reuben wilson but compared to listening to benson or jimmy smith you heard those records and we were like i'm never gonna play that good and you heard <laughs> you heard you know melvin and reuben and those guys play and you're like, there's better than me, but I could get that. Like I could figure that out, you know, if I slow <laughs> it down. I, yeah. So it, it turned everyone on. People say that like, um, um, when the Ramones played in England, the first time it started all of the punk bands in England, you know, the class yeah. were there and Susie and the Banshee were all these people were in the audience because they were like, I can, 
I could buy a guitar and learn how to do, be the remote. chords, yeah. That's I'm great. not going to be Yes or Emerson Lake or Palmer, <laughs> no matter how hard I try. But, but you know, yeah. It, yeah, so that's, it's kind of, you know, it, it, it makes the music accessible to average people. I like that because uh, I think the most fun way to teach and to learn music is that way. Like it's the old folk tradition where everybody plays together. Mm-hmm. Like right. you just, you know, whatever style, you know, when you go back far enough, they just did it that way. It's it's uh, inclusive. It's That's what rough. I love about reggae music, too, is that it's like it, it really isn't super. Intri- it's just an another interpretation of those chords you know yep. and it's just skipping the you know the beats versus the way that it was played in you know a a, a folk song or something like that or yep. just drum differently and that's what's so cool about it i feel you like know? new orleans music's like that too it's like <laughs> in a way you can you can play it at any level you can have a place in it the, of course the greatest people are going to be the ones that you remember and you want to go see or whatever but there's you could still be in the band without a lot of skills because it's such a, the music's based upon real valid, simple ideas. And, um, and you learn it from your elders and from the people around you and your peers instead of, you know, it's not a, like I'm smarter than you contest. Exactly. It's it's more about about bringing people in. Yeah. Yeah. You got to learn what their story is. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, but there's a lot of, there's a lot more, uh, crossover than I thought. Like, uh, cause I remember when I learned, uh, with Colonel Bruce that Pharaoh Sanders was in Bobby Blue Bland's band. Mm-hmm. And then I recently saw an interview, I think it was George Coleman and he was like, he's from Memphis, I think. He said, well, if I were to play with Muddy Waters, I'd play more like this, but you know, if yeah. I'm playing with, you know, Herbie or whatever, you know, like it's, and I That's was like, wow, you know? Yeah. And most, most great players don't have that. Um, that snobbery. Yeah. What Charlie Hunter used to call it the jazz arms race. Like, <laughs> like everyone's trying to like re-up each other with more reharmonization. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, most people recognize that it's just music and, you know, there's a, it's context matters and the connection to yeah. American tradi- traditions, blues and things. That's the most basic part. That's yeah. like yeah. essential. If you don't have that, it's not really, it's not really that music. It's not really jazz or not that I'm some expert on jazz, but those are the things that are the through line with all the great yes. American. I mean, it's, it happens in all the music, you know? I mean, you have to go back to new Orleans really, because that's where the only place blacks were allowed to keep their drums that's what fascinates me about that place like so whether it's blues gospel uh jazz everything you know like country music's really related in its own way too you know and bluegrass and bluegrass and hey charlie hayden and gary burton and who else? Because we were talking about this with Christian McBride when he was on the podcast. We're really plugged in on that side, the countryside, like yeah. where it all meets up to. Oh, and that's, that's why I say it's really just about what your story is. You know, Pat, because there's where Pat Metheny's coming from. And, you know, sure. it's all really, uh, it's great. I've, I'm interested in everybody's human story. Mm. You know, that's how yeah. I approach music. 
where I used to approach it like Ornette has the best quote about it. He's, it says, My, I'm seeking to eliminate the caste system of music. Mm-hmm. It's like the arms race wow. thing. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's what. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. You, you go ahead. I, can I was wait. just saying, there's a, there's an interesting thing happening now in sort of like the the tu- YouTube tutorial um, <laughs> generation of music, and I think it's great that you could go on there and like it, it is. Know, how, how do you do this? But it's become this thing of like people, everybody out chopsing each other, and um, on the on the other bad side is people learning stuff wrong because they. Cause one guy who's the, the top hit of how do you play this song has the chords a little wrong and everyone learns from them and it going sort of back to the roots of it or learning from people in your band and like, you know, having that sort of community to bounce off of instead of like you in your room, just like shredding some, you know, it, it's gotten a little crazy with that. Like, you know, they just need and to more, use it more, more com- yeah. they need to bounce it out because I, I learned to play banjo initially on YouTube oh, and wow, it was good. great for getting me going. But then, you know, I have all these friends in bluegrass. So yeah, I, you can literally as, touch it. Like all the best players in the world. <laughs> I, mean, I had to wait till I wasn't embarrassed to like, I'm yeah, always yeah. embarrassed, but it quickly morphed to like, all right, can you show me this? Cause I'm doing something wrong. Like, I saw it on YouTube this way and it doesn't sound. So I plugged I, into the the human part, you know? Yeah. That, yeah. I think you're right. Like it is good. And I actually go on there when I'm like, what, what yeah. do you think this is? And, and sometimes it'll really show me some tricks. So it's, sure. it's totally a good tool. It just doesn't replace the, the sort of, you know, other people are, you know, other yes. people in person are a great thing. Yes. Actual reality. Yeah. In addition to virtual reality, <laughs> four dimensional. You know what? I was interested to think because, like O'Teal mentioned, like everyone's story leading up to today. I'm interested in your punk. Uh, you, you've brought up punk quite a bit. Like you, you were playing in it. Like, did you go to lots of shows in the? Be- in, like, yeah, that's such a such a niche thing. And uh, but it, but a very interesting. I, I listened to a bunch of it when I was a kid too. And yeah. I just wanted to know a little bit about like your background in punk and playing it, going to see it. How did so that translate was, to what you're doing now? When I was a kid in growing up in Southern California in the eighties, yeah, that was really like the music that was, it was one of the most exciting things that was happening along with rap music, but not in Southern California. It hadn't really, that wasn't really going off as much yet. So we listened to records from New York or whatever, but, um, but the punk scene was very vital and there was, you know, in San Diego, we didn't have as many clubs as LA did to, to house that music. So people would do shows at like the Elks Lodge or the YMCA or whatever, and like rent out the room. You know, there yeah. was a promoter, Tim Mays, who would do the, all these shows at sort of like off. Um, Jackie Robinson YMCA was the big one, and they just he just rent the room. He was like a kid who just loved the music, so he'd bring down, you know, Circle Jerks or Dead Kennedys or whatever. <laughs> circle um, Jerks at the Elks Lodge. Are great. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and the they were all basement. ages. They were all ages shows, so you could go go to them, uh, you know, yeah. like as a kid. Um, and then you know, I started playing in bands. We also were into bands like you know Fishbone, mm, who was up there because the them. bass player in my band's cousin was Angelo. 
Um, really? Yeah, oh, wow. and, that, and they weren't really a punk band, but they were in that. They were playing in that scene because yeah. they were so weird that they didn't, they didn't work anywhere else. You know, I love X also from LA. Yeah. That, you yeah. know, who was they were proper punk band, but also had these other sort of Americana influences and old country music, and uh, there was you know a Chicano edge to it, and it was like all these interesting things that were happening on, on in that music. So it felt very exciting to me. And because partly cause my parents were kind of hippies, I was like rebelling. <laughs> it was the counterculture to the yeah, counterculture. Yeah. So I was like, your music's so mellow and like, you know, everything's cool, man. And I was like, no, I was pissed off. So, yeah. Right. Like, so, so cool. So then I was in a band, I was in a band called daddy long. It was sort of a fishbone wannabe that we played like some punk tunes and some, um, some ska and some reggae and some, some funk. That's where I first got into like, P-Funk and, you know, sort of, I realized that there's, there's all this, you know, P-Funk's another one where there's just all this folklore and you can get into yeah. all the side projects and all yeah. these characters and as like a comic book fun. kid, it was like amazing, <laughs> oh. you know? Yeah. So. Well, it's funny. That's what, when you were talking earlier too, about the jazz guys, that's kind of what it reminded me of. Cause we've had a conversation recently about collectibles yeah. and how, like, when you like get, get into collectibles, you kind of like are able to like, Oh, there's this world. And then there's that sub genre. And then there's this. And that is kind of the amazing thing that music's done, even just as a fan of it or like a geek of it is that like, Oh, you, this person was influenced by this band. So you can go deep into that. And then there's that guy in that band who started this thing and you go way off on that. And that's the neat thing that you're able to kind of, I just listened to, um, f- the audiobook for flea from the peppers acid for mm-hmm. the children. And just like his explanation of exactly what you're talking about with that, like Southern Cal punk scene. Yeah. I started going back and listening to some, like X and um, the germs and a lot of that weird <laughs> stuff that I never really, I mean, I liked it a little when I was a kid, like minor threat and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you just, it's collect music is a collectible too. And it's neat yeah. to kind of, you know, get into that P funk folklore and Bootsy and all the other weird lanes, you know, it's fun. It's so fun. It's, now, can we get uh, some pictures of you from this band perhaps Robert? For our um, video tech to look, put in the back. I'll was look. My mom, my mom probably has some. Um, <laughs> Please. Well, and then later I was in a band. I, my head was shaved for a while. I had kind of a uh, that thing going. I was in a band right after that called Creedle that was had a record out on Headhunters Records, and we went on tour. We got to open for X and on the road, and it was my first. That's how I got into being on the road. We we got we had bought like a short school bus from the city auction for cheap. But nice. it had like a, there's, there, I think there was a hole in the floor. It was in the Midwest <laughs> in the winter. Oh, Jesus Christ. And the pay was $5 a day, but I had saved up another $5 a day. And we spent it on pitchers of beer. You know? um, nice. It, no, was, it was like the, we, we slept in the band, like in the cold. It was crazy. Yeah, like, with the hole, that would, was fun. I would be crying, but. But it was the funnest I ever had. I was like, time me up. I was twenty, I think. Yeah. You know, twenty one maybe. Twenty um, you can twenty you can sleep in a bus with a hole in it. Not any older. So, sometimes we met, <laughs> we, we met people the from the scene and they'd let you crash on their floor. That was totally like yeah. it awesome. was, this is a book. It I was amazing. Read. So <laughs> and um that band was cool. It was like a punk rock band with kind of but kind of like 
had some proggy influences too. So like with like math, math punk rock or something. Um, a lot, <laughs> of, really, lot of odd time riffs and stuff. It was cool, cool man, music. If you Those can find, are still around. If you can find pictures of that, bro. So there's yeah, probably we'll a, a picture of you on the record, right? Yeah, well, there's a there's a cartoon of me on the first one. I'll find I'll find something. Please, man, up. this would be gold for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <That's really>. funny. <laughs> um, what was it like playing? Like, so you're 20 and you're in the Midwest opening for X. Like, what were those crowds like? Like, what rooms were you playing? Like, just small, like, tight clubs. And it's hard for me to remember. Like, everything looks bigger when you first start. Sure, like, it's funny. Like, I'll go around to these clubs again. And I'm like. I used to be like the Fox theater in Boulder. Like I was like, we've arrived. This thing's huge. I and remember then, that. And then now you go and you're like, wow, it's not really that, that big. And you were playing drums in this band, correct? I was playing keyboards in Creedle. It was like, um, it was like samples and like sound effects and noise and weird stuff. And it was pretty oh, cool. Wow. Wow. Yeah. All right. Keys. And I don't remember band. that many punk bands having keys. Well, I guess, I guess Fishbone did. It was a, it was a, huh. it was sort of a punk derivative. I wouldn't say yeah. it was like a, we edge. weren't a hardcore band. We were sort of beginning Skateboard of post, music. post, but that was that scene definitely. So that's the cool thing too is it more than originally I liked those bands because of the energy, but when it became sort of so prescriptive like what it was, I liked that it sort of allowed all the bands that couldn't play anywhere else. You could get somewhere on the bill because there'd also be like 10 bands on the bill and yeah. everybody play 30 minutes. Um, so you could do your weird thing. Like there was some, there was some crazy groups where it was like, you know, a guy on a floor Tom and a bass player with effects. And that was the gig. Like, yeah. Or, you know, like it, it sort of, it was open in that way. Cause, and if you suck, people would just like boo, but it didn't, <laughs> you did not get the gig, you know? Because there were six play. other bands playing that day, yeah. so they were like, yeah, "It didn't th- pay anything, so it didn't." There's no stakes, really. <laughs> you know, I used to go to. Uh, there was a skate park <sighs> that I used to, an indoor skateboard park that I used to go to, and there was days where, like, yeah, eight nine bands would come play during the day, and um, you'd end up leaving with like a like a bag of tapes, like demo to you know, like four mm-hmm. songs, two songs on each side, these little you know, and you made a donation to the band or whatever, and it was crazy. You leave with a stiff neck from headbanging and you know all that stuff but it was cool because it's like like you said a lot of bands that was their only chance to kind of you know play in front of people yeah it was like land of the misfit toys you know and i think it really that's un, it's similar to jam band scene in ways totally yeah. now now it's and become it's the it, it, the jam thing has become more professional because it's more as it's gone gotten older there's like when I was, when I first started playing to sort of like the sort of dead kind of crowd with tapers and people would follow the band with gray boy sort of like got into that accidentally. When we first started, we were playing at sort of dance club things because acid jazz was all the rage and we fit into yeah. that. But that, that dance scene is usually pretty fickle stylistically. So it, it kind of moved on to drum and bass and other things. And we didn't have a place to play. So somehow people had started to tape our gigs and we ended up in this, this scene. But when I was first doing that, all the bands that were playing on that scene, I don't know if you feel this way, but they weren't um, self-aware that they were jam bands. They were just weird bands. Yeah. The, the audience was what made it a jam band, not the exactly. band. Yeah. 
Not and now be. there's a, a younger generation that's grown up on that. So they're like, we are a jam band. This is what we, we are. But originally it was just like, one was like a Southern rock band and one was the kind of a funk thing. And one was, you know, like there was the all these different and EDM. Yeah. Right. Like the new kinda, deal kind of fell into that where, you know, like there's yeah. all these different, you go to a festival and it's like, wow, okay. Yeah. It can yeah. be a good thing. Cause it's like, for one, you can't help it, but I look at it with MMA. Like we were into MMA way back in the day when it was like the karate guy is going to fight the taekwondo mm. guy or the jujitsu guy is going to fight the, gra- the boxer. And, na- yeah. and now you have since like Rory McDonald and all those that people where they started doing everything. Yeah, and that's kind of good because they're like it's all gumbo, it's all jazz, it's all right. hybrid. Like you're open to everything. Yeah. Even if you sit like as a kid, you did Taekwondo, you know, but it's, it's something to, to start there, you know, cause yeah. it's open. It's open. And also I yeah, think too, it, 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 to, well, no, just, I was to say to your point, Otiel, like where MMA kind of is the festival of, yeah. you know, it's the venue where like, so if you're a, a, a fan of, let's say the dead and fish Whatever. and you go to a festival and yeah. then you go here you know, the word or Robert Randolph or, you know, some different thing. You're like, Oh shit. Yeah. Like this is something totally different. You know what I mean? Or you're able to, and there were even hip hop bands that fell into the jam lane. Absolutely. Sort of, Cause you know, like J five enough and before yeah. you had a record, a bin in the record store <laughs> a label. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what Colonel Bruce was. <laughs> I, I still don't know what it is, Yeah, what's but, that genre? <laughs> but they let us play at the, on the hippie festival. And I was like, okay, you know, they, what is they get it enough to? If you went to a record store and looked up a Colonel Bruce album right now, what would it? What would it? Be? Here's what it was when the album came out because they were trying to. They put us in Southern rock. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, business. on DMT. <laughs> you know, like that was before <laughs> I knew what DMT was, but you know. Yeah. It is. It it is. I mean, it's not unrelated to Southern rock, but yeah, the, it's totally. Well, you know, it's, it's like what Greg Allman. They. I remember Greg Allman doing an interview, and they were like, "So we heard you don't like the term Southern rock. What's up with?" He goes, "Well, first of all, it's redundant." <laughs> and I was like, "There you go. Right what on. do you mean? Wow. It's rock and roll, which came out of where?" <laughs> yeah, first, yeah, you right. know, like he just. I don't know. But that's, like that's why I jazz. think it's just like uh, American, yeah. you know, because yeah. yeah. really that's it's all we're all gumbo. It's all gumbo in some kind of way. Everything's mashed up together. It's yeah. it was cool. And I think it still happens, but it's cool when the festival is programmed, not uh, not a, a, just a, a roll call of the top touring jam bands. But there'd be weird stuff on the bill where you're like, oh, I saw a band from Africa or I saw, you know, whatever, like whatever. Yeah. So because that enriches the music, like, you know, totally. Yeah. It's not self cannibalizing all the time. That's what I'm saying, you know? Yeah. And also the collaborations and like the people you leave a festival, you never heard of them before. And you're like, oh, wow, they sat in with panic and like, here's this amazing, you know, they love them so much that they're like, we need to showcase these, you know, influences of ours to the world and come up and sing. Which is what those guys were doing. I mean, the Allman Brothers and the Grateful Dead... I mean, that's what they were doing. They were mixing all this stuff, gospel and country and bluegrass and jazz and funk yeah. and 
uh, you know. My cousin was a deadhead in college and he heard uh, Organ Grinder Swing by Jimmy Smith at set break um, and then became a complete jazz organ fanatic, <laughs> you know, and like bought, and then jazz in general bought all these records. It was, it's yeah. crazy how those things can turn people on. I know so many people that heard about the Neville Brothers. From yes, the dead, you know, so. absolutely. And I yeah. think it's really cool. I, I I saw an interview. It was like right after I got the Den Company gig, I saw an interview with Bramford after he had been playing oh, right. with the Grateful Dead. He was still really young. I love that interview. In this interview, you know. And he's like, man, these people come out to your gigs like Dark Star, dude. You know, he's like, but they show up, they support, they buy the records, they know what we're doing. My favorite is Tom Guarna, who's like a jazz guy, a New York jazz guitarist that I've kind of brought into the fold. He was doing a jazz gig in New Haven. And these deadheads brought him a big Sally's pizza, which is his favorite pizza on earth, to the gig. He was like, yo, man, these right, Grateful so Dead on. fans are the best. They <laughs> like, dosed the crust, know. but it was still a good pizza. <laughs> and they dug the gig. I mean, they really, they're listeners. Sure. You know, I think it was so cute, man. I was loving it. And people are generally, I like that scene because people are generally coming to have a good time. They're not coming to like sit there and bad vibe you, you know, and Which they're coming like, to listen. Yeah. They want, they want something and... good to happen, you know, in a way where, you know, some jazz crowds are kind of going to play jury duty and see if you're going to cut it. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's Christian a, McBride talked about that. He was like, uh, you know, come on, man. Yeah. Where's the real, the, where's the, the mud? Where's the butt? Where's the earth yeah. in this thing? You yeah. know, like, come on. Instead of like, hmm, well, they played, they missed that change, you know, whatever. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> That's when we six really Sun Ra on them, six yeah. Cecil Taylor on them, <laughs> get them out of the room, <laughs> so we can yeah. get back to the real stuff. So, could you let me ask you this? Do you uh, could your like eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old self see you with Roger Waters now? Like, how c- could you see? I mean, it's <laughs> it's amazing in a way. Yes, totally. Because I thought. I, at that age, I had no fear. I was like, of course I'm going to be a rock star. Like, that's, See, I had none of that. That was just, that's where I was headed. And then as the world beat me down, I thought like, so if you would ask me two years ago, I'd be like, no way, that's never going to happen. Two years yeah. ago, yeah. yeah. But, that's funny. Mine is like, I never, I, I just hoped I didn't have to have a real job. Like if I got away with not having a real job and getting in traffic, I would be like, I made it. Yeah. So like all this, I, I was, I was like, what? It's, it's like an acid I, trip. I still yeah. feel like I'm playing hooky all the time. Like some good at some point they're going to find out. Like, <laughs> like you have to be showing up to your yeah. job, you know? Yeah. yeah. The gig's going to be up. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's beautiful. Beautiful because that's the feeling that we didn't want to give up. <laughs> so it's great you still have it because a lot of us don't. I mean, yeah. I do, but I mean, you know, a lot of people, they that jaded thing happens and it's sad. It's like, yeah. it's sad. Yeah, that Monday morning when everyone's going to work and you're not. And it's like, yeah, yeah did it. Yeah, made it. I'm, still, I'm still psyched. Yeah, I'm still like, yeah, I'm, I don't have to set an alarm. It's like, it's amazing. But, um, but I've also had a lot of ups and downs in my, I, I've never yeah. had like a, a sort of, I've always had to work for it and like find the next thing. And, and I, 
I, you know, I wish it was a little more comfortable and reliable, but I like that too. Like I like kind of hunting for it and I like to stay a little bit hungry. So. It keeps, uh, it keeps your edge. You know, well, I, like, I look at uh, people making heavy transitions later in life, you mm-hmm. know, um, and they're not used to it. And that threat, like, you know, we're one death away from me not having a gig anymore, you know, like it just, right, right. I could yeah. die, you know? So, I mean, nobody really has any security. I mean, that's my favorite quote. A yeah. false sense of security is the only kind there really is, <laughs> but it's easier when you oh, yeah. know, when you live like that daily, because for other people that put all their eggs in the security basket and then the basket gets set on fire, it's like, whoa, it's yeah, devastating. Yeah. Yeah, it's like and when play, you look at the calendar, at the empty blocks in the calendar are the ones that look the biggest. You know what I yeah, mean? Right. Like when you're looking through it, it's like, oh, geez, got to fill those. Yeah. And I, I like, I consider myself a side man in a way where I, I, I've done a lot of different kinds of music. So I, I feel like um, I'm not committed to one gig. It's really crazy people who like have been in a band their whole life, like one band, yeah. and that's their, their skill set is that music not to say that that's in a way that music gets deeper because you're that's your your whole thing you're the only person that can do that it's just that yeah. what do you do if it once the gig goes away if the band breaks up or something you know, it's yeah. hard it's hard to move on because that's really your identity yeah i've walked through that with the almond brothers and <laughs> dead it's right. a it's a trip man i mean i remember when we were doing vita blue and Paige <laughs> tells me he goes you know this is the second band i've ever been in <laughs> right like, wow. holy yeah. shit yeah <laughs> it's like boy amazing. did you pick a crazy one <laughs> me and russell yeah. batiste oh no <laughs> sorry incredible <laughs> band into the fire yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's kind of that way with mayor really yeah. And is Carl still playing with the Stones now too? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. amazing. So you guys are going to be. Is there going to be a Gray Boy tour after you guys are? Yeah. Off so we your got tours. So you're going to be coming from Roger Waters, and he's going to be coming from the Stones, and you got pretty <laughs> cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been really great. So we'll do we'll do some touring next year on this thing, and we kind of we all have talked about it, and we're we're like, that's the band we want to be in when we're old, you know, yeah, this is nice. like, and that's we'll nice. all do other things, but we'll always come back together. It's gotten really that's sweet. You know, there's a time when we were in the van where we kind of wanted to kill each other. But at yeah. this point, as we get older, we appreciate each other more. Everybody hangs more. It just feels like, it feels like your family or something. We grew up together yeah. in a way. So, um, so we're like, that's our retirement, <laughs> you Not know, a bad uh, retirement. hobby, you know, like we're going to hang out because it just feels the best. And I love playing with those people, you know, I love that it just happened like so randomly. One of the big themes of my life always is how fate works with chemistry you know, to me, it feels like it was planned. It doesn't feel random, but either way, it sure is great. Like if that DJ gray boy hadn't, you know, like you found your boys that you want to get old with, like we'll be at the nursing home right. <laughs> doing our function. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's special, man. That's cool. Yeah. I'm very thankful for that. Thank you for joining us today. This has been a blast. 
Yeah, I had, I had a great time. Where can everybody find uh, all of uh, all things uh, you? Can you tell our listeners? So um, the Grey Boy album, you know, buy it from us. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Totally. There's only so many and we're, we're the we're the whole store. So uh, greyboyallstars.com, you can get, you can order the vinyl. Then it's, you know, it's streaming everywhere. I don't mind if you listen to it for free, but you can throw us some money if you want, you know, but I, yeah, I feel like it. I want it to be available to everybody, but the vinyl is real sweet. So, um, so that, and then, you know, my stuff is, um, Royal potato family or Robert or wherever else, but, um, but everything's awesome. around. So check it out. <laughs> nice dude. I have a good time out on tour there, man. Yeah. Um, thanks a lot. It. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening, yeah. everybody. Osiris. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.